Our scripture reading this morning continues the series we have been currently immersed in on the life of Jacob, God's wee rascal. And so we're coming to Genesis chapter 32 this morning at verse 22 through verse 32 at the end of the chapter. And you'll find it on page 53 in the church Bible. For those watching at home or watching on our Fox broadcast, it's helpful for you at home if you have a Bible open Sunday morning so that together we can immerse ourselves in God's Word and be asking, what would He teach us this morning that enables us to live out our faith in the week ahead? And so, we're coming to Genesis 32 at verse 22. To give you a little context as to what's about to happen, and I will explain this in greater detail in a moment, Jacob, for the first time in 20 years, is going back to his family home to meet his brother Esau. And the last time they met, Esau looked at Jacob and said to him, Jacob, the next time we meet, I will kill you. And so, a situation of dysfunctionality and great tension, Jacob fled, and we'll explain why in a moment or two. He headed north towards his uncle's home in Haran, and 20 years later, he's returning with two wives, 11 sons, uh, a wealthy individual, and he's about to meet Jacob. Uh, excuse me, Jacob's about to meet Esau. And that night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. And so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? And Jacob, ans Jacob he answered. And then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. And Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. And so Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading of His holy word. If I was a producer or perhaps a presenter on ESPN, the sports channel, and if I was setting up this story in a 21st century context on cable television or streaming service for ESPN, I might introduce it this way. This evening on ESPN Wrestling Channel, 
we have for your delight and delicatation the master of disaster all the way from Peniel, Jacob. Now you can imagine that happening, can you not? And that would give you a sense of excitement about what's about to take place. As God Himself comes in physical form called a theophany, and wrestles with Jacob. And so, as we begin to try and get our head around all that's taking place here, let me remind you a little of what we've been saying, because the context to what's about to take place is crucially important for us. Over the last few weeks, we've been saying the story of Jacob is one of the most fascinating and instructive stories to be found anywhere in the Old Testament. It is a story of jealousy, power, intrigue, loneliness, love and romance, deception, bribery, threats of murder and violence, manipulation and control. And we certainly saw all of those major themes in our first two Sundays together. But there's another level to the story of Jacob. And it is an account of a man alone with God in the dark facing the inward hidden issues of the soul, and made sharply aware of the presence and power of God. It is not merely Jacob's outward circumstances which trouble his mind, but the spiritual realities behind them. And that's exactly what we're about to see this morning. We said in our first Sunday together that the story of Jacob is a story about an individual who struggles and stumbles and fumbles through their faith experiences. And most of us, I think, would say that there are times when we have done the same. I think we're drawn to Jacob because we can identify with him. He seems to grow in stages that we recognize. But more than struggle and stumble and fumble, Jacob is also full of good intentions. It seems to us as we immerse ourselves in his story that he's three steps forward and then two steps back, then three steps forward and two steps back. At times, he's more prodigal than prodigy. Last Sunday morning, I made the point that Jacob would probably be more, ha more comfortable at happy hour than watching Hallmark. That's Jacob. But despite all of that, God persists, and there are moments of breakthrough, then breakdown, then breakthrough and breakdown. And sometimes in the one season or perhaps within a couple of days of each other, that's the story of Jacob, and it is a remarkable story. Last Sunday morning, and I won't go over all of it again, but you will remember that Jacob eventually arrived in Haran, his uncle's home. He had to flee his family home, having deceived his father, stolen from his brother. He left penniless, homeless. He arrives at his uncle's, and his uncle sets some, gets him to, to work, and they negotiate over a salary. And the salary was seven years of my labor if I can marry your daughter, Rachel. And his uncle agrees. 
But on the night of his wedding, his uncle, who is every bit as deceptive and manipulative and conniving as Jacob, substitutes Rachel with his oldest daughter, Leah. And Jacob wakes up the next morning and does what we will do this time next Sunday. Because next Sunday morning, many of us before we come to church are going to step on those bathroom scales after the extravagances of Thanksgiving, and we'll look down and go, oh, how did that happen? Well, we know exactly how it happened, but there it is, and you're stuck with the reality of it. And Jacob wakes up married to Leah and not Rachel. Then he works another seven years and eventually is given Rachel. And because in that first study we saw Jacob deceiving his father, stealing from his brother, last Sunday ended with the point that Jacob had been Jacobed. He'd been deceived. He'd been swindled. He'd been conned. But God had not given up on Jacob. And as we come to chapter 32, what we are going to see is this, that God's unending, unwavering faithfulness and undeserved kindness is at work in the life of Jacob. And that's a point I don't want to simply slip over but rather pause a second and help you understand, and I tried to make the point last Sunday, I think somewhat clumsily rather, but please remember this from Genesis, page after page, chapter after chapter, book after book, all the way through to Revelation. The main character is God. Likewise, in the story of Jacob, the temptation is to think the main character is Jacob, or Rachel, or Leah, or Laban, or Isaac, or Esau, and it never is. The main character is God, and here He is interacting with Jacob. Now, Jacob, as you know, has arrived home after twenty-something years. His brother Esau is coming in his direction with four hundred men-at-arms. Jacob is fearful for his life. He separates his family. He sends most of them, in fact, all of them, plus his possessions across the river so that if he's attacked, at least his family will survive. And as Jacob is lying there, he's lying there in the darkness, alone, worried, wondering, anxious, frustrated, what on earth is going on here? He has prayed to God for protection from Esau. And let me make this point, and it's going to take us a moment or two to understand exactly what I'm saying here. He had prayed for protection from Esau when what Jacob needed most was protection from God. Now, let me say it again. He had prayed for protection from Esau, when what he needed was protection from God, because God is about to do a work in the life of Jacob that Jacob could not see coming. Remember, he's lying there in the darkness, anxiety is mounting, he's worried and wondering what's happening, and then before he realizes, he's attacked, and not just knocked to the ground, attacked a second time. 
and then a third time, and God is wrestling with him in the ground, and Jacob is thinking, who is this? Is it Esau? Is it one of his servants? Has he sent some kind of local assassin after me to take my life? What is going on? And Jacob has no idea. In fact, it's only throughout the night that gradually, slowly, but surely, he begins to realize what's happening. Now, if you have been on the receiving end of violence, you will know how traumatic that is. It comes at you suddenly, without warning. You're overwhelmed. What is going on? Why did they do that? What do they want? What is happening here? And that was Jacob. And please remember, God had initiated this. He was the one who was behind it. And here's my question. It is reasonably easy to look at the life of Jacob from a distance and know that there he is alone in the darkness, fretting, anxious, wondering, but also wrestling with God. Now, keep Jacob in the forefront of your mind and come with me to the 21st century. Ever find yourself wrestling with God? Changed your career only to discover that the company you've been working with the last eight months is not doing as well as you had hoped? You've enjoyed the increase in salary, you're enjoying the new work, but suddenly people are being laid off. Contracts are not coming in. And you are wrestling in the midst of it all and saying, Father, why would you move me to another city? Why would you allow me to be here eight months only to discover all of this? And you're wrestling emotionally, prayerfully, psychologically. What is going on? Father, I thought this was a significant change in my career. Or you're involved in a relationship, and it's been spiraling out of control, and it's going nowhere, and hopes and dreams have turned to ash. And you're beginning to say, Father, what are you doing? Why would you allow this to happen? And there you are, wrestling and struggling and stumbling and fumbling in the darkness. And God is saying nothing. You've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed. And you've come to Him and said, Father, if only you would explain. If only you would show me. If only you would indicate what is happening here. Then I would get it. Then I would understand what you're doing. But it feels to you as if you're getting beaten up every now and again and you don't know which way to turn. And that was Jacob. And God was the one who was doing the wrestling. Frustrating, maddening, absolutely. But please remember this. We should never confuse God's delays with His denials. When you're in the darkness, and you don't know what to do. It's a good idea when you're in darkness to stand still till you understand what's taking place, until some light is shone on what is going on. 
And there was the frustration, maddening, difficult, hard to work out. But his delays should not be confused with his denials. And for Jacob, it was more of a pregnant pause than a lack of answers. And like an expectant mom, when God has you in the darkness, going through difficult, challenging, dreadful days, and you can't understand what He's doing, like an expectant mom, you're usually enlarged in the process. There is life, there is growth, but at times it's difficult to see, and it's only when you step back can you see it. But I would have to say in my own experience, when you're going through days like that, when you're in the darkness, be still and know that I am God. Be still. Be quiet. Prayerfully, Father, what are you doing? Don't frenetically run around trying to resolve it. Don't begin to make demands and conditions. Father, if only you would do this and only do that and only do the next thing, because I know how this should be resolved, and I understand it better than anyone else, and I and I and I and I be still. Psalm 42.7 says this, in those moments, deep calls In other words, the answers are more profound than words. And what often happens is this, that during those moments, I gain, excuse me, I get introduced to sin that I need to confront. And I wouldn't see it or sense it if I simply went around busy demanding days, running from one thing to another to another but it's in quiet and in solitude and darkness that you begin to sit still, you begin to listen, you begin to fully engage, and you begin to examine your own life. Father, help me see the sin in my motivations, my will, my desires, my ambitions, my interaction with family and friends and colleagues. Introduced to sin, I need to confront. Secondly, I recognize patterns of behavior that need to break, need to break. Thirdly, I gain insight into who I am and what I didn't have before because He now has my attention. I'm now concentrating on Him. I now am making time for Him. And fourthly, I discover a depth of relationship with God that I have never before experienced. That's what's taking place. That's exactly what happened to Jacob as he wrestled with God all night long, wondering, worrying, what on earth is going on here. Eventually, he began to understand. When God takes you through moments like that, He's often often shaping and refining you. That's exactly what was going on with Jacob. And a deeper trust, an eternal dependency was taking place here. Jacob had prayed for protection from Esau, and now he was wrestling with God, who was changing him and refining him. Now, please remember what happens when you wrestle. 
Some of you will be very familiar with this, some not so much. But whenever you find yourself in a wrestling match, the hips matter. The hips are where the suppleness is. It's where the power is. It's where you can bend someone else's will to your own will. And that's what was happening in the darkness. Here was God wrestling with Jacob, explaining to him and showing him that unless he submits and surrenders, he's going nowhere. And as he wrestles with him all night, Jacob eventually understands what's going on. And God graciously and gently touches him in the hip. He could have knocked him into the Jabbok River. He could have said to him, Jacob, who on earth do you think you are wrestling with me? But he doesn't. Gently, graciously, undeserved kindness and disables him. There's now no power and he takes away from Jacob self-reliance and self-will and self-centeredness with a touch of God, just like, just like that. And Jacob is stunned, absolutely stunned. Psalm 102, 23 in the course of my life, he broke my strength. And the psalmist means exactly that. He took away from me self-reliance and self-will and self-sufficiency. And Jacob, who in those early moments when he was knocked to the ground, wanted to run as far from his attacker as possible, now does the opposite. The night and the darkness is beginning to come to an end, and Jacob doesn't want to leave his attacker. He doesn't want to flee his aggressor. In fact, he embraces the person, and he realizes it is God. And in fact, at the end of the chapter, he says, I called the place Peniel because I saw God face to face face, and my life was spared. I was spared. And have you ever wondered why God says to Jacob, what is your name? Did God forget who he'd been wrestling with for the last six and a half or seven hours? Of course not. Did he come to earth with an arrest warrant to whom it may concern? No. So why ask him his name? What was the significance of that? Because a person's name in biblical terms often reflects their character. And the last time, 20 years ago, that someone asked him what was his name, what did he say? He said, Esau. He was in the middle of deceiving his father. He wanted his father's blessing and the inheritance that should have belonged to his brother. And he said, I'm Esau. 
And now, 20 years later, as God has been refining and changing him and transforming him, this stumbling, struggling, fumbling individual says, Jacob, deceiver, cheat, swindler, manipulator. God was looking for confession, not information. Confession. Remember we said at the beginning that this is a story of a man who is wrestling with the deep issues of his faith and the spiritual reality that lay behind them. And he confesses who he is. And this morning, if God were to say to you or I, what is your name? What would you say? And in that moment of confession, God reaches deep within and removes the Jacob and replaces it with a man called Israel. Beloved, chosen, child of God. And in the faithfulness of God, he continues to not give up on Jacob, to never walk away from him. Painful? Absolutely. Frustrating? Of course. Debilitating experience? Yes. But I'll tell you this, and let me encourage you to use your imagination. Imagine this morning if Stan's name was Jacob and he came in right at this point in the sermon, and he walked through the doors and started walking down the aisle, making his way to the chancel steps, and you looked at him, what would you see if he was Jacob? Hair all over the place, his face bruised and swollen, his lips bleeding, his hands filthy, full of cuts, robes torn, and as he comes forward, He's limping. He's limping. And we look at him and say, what on earth has happened? What has taken place? And he would simply make his way up onto the steps, turning your direction and say, I've been blessed. I've been blessed. I wrestled with God all night long, and I survived. And he loves me with an everlasting love, and He's taken out of me, Jacob, and replaced it with Israel. That's what's going on here. And this homeless, penniless, struggling, stumbling, fumbling individual has been transformed by the love and grace of God. This week, take time. Enjoy Thanksgiving. Enjoy it immensely with family and friends, but take time to focus on God Himself and dare to pray, Father, change me. Change me in that radical, invasive, dynamic way 
that I might not simply become Israel, but that I would become more Christ-like. Change me. Allow me to do your will rather than the other way around. I do trust and pray you have just a spectacular Thanksgiving. But in the midst of it all, you'll be thankful that He never gives up on us. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this passage of Scripture this morning. Thank You that we are a thankful people, filled with gratitude, touched by grace. Enable us, please, this week to remember not so much the moments when we have struggled and stumbled and fumbled, but to remember Your grace and the blessing You bring to us. For those of us struggling in the darkness, bring Your tender touch and Your comforting presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.